from the time we wake up in the morning until we fall asleep at night, many of us spend so much time in front of our digital devices that our eyes don't seem to get a break. So in a society that's becoming increasingly screen dependent, how can we protect our vision health? Joining us with that answer and more is Dr. Bill Harbour, a clinician scientist, professor, and chair of ophthalmology here at UT Southwestern. Dr. Harbour, thanks for joining us. How has this virtual environment in the work from home era affected our vision health? Initially, it was a real struggle figuring out how to get patients in uh, to get their exam. What we ended up coming up with are uh, different strategies to allow the patients to come in uh, and get their imaging done uh, and then perhaps go home and then they would have a telemedicine visit. Unfortunately, what happened early in the pandemic was that people were um, delaying their eye care. Some conditions that were not urgent could wait a few weeks, uh, became vision threatening when they were you know, waiting a few months. Uh, instead, macular degeneration getting much worse. So it was a real challenge in many ways. With many of us spending so much time now looking at a screen, either our phone, our computer, or some other monitor, uh, many of us are experiencing eye fatigue at a different level than we've had before. Do you have any advice for us in preventing and treating that eye fatigue? One of the most common causes of eye fatigue is just dry eye, uh, because when we are reading, we're on a, on a uh, computer screen, uh, those sorts of things, we tend not to blink as much. And so um, our eyes become dry and we sense that um, as fatigue. Using artificial teardrops uh, periodically uh, will help and just taking breaks periodically uh, will help. A real concern, especially with young people, is that with all these uh, devices, it's increasing the rate of nearsightedness. That's a, an increasing concern in you know, the pediatric ophthalmology uh, space. Dr. Harbour, much of your research is focused on uveal melanoma and retinoblastoma, the most common eye cancers in both children and adults. Tell us about your research. My uh, research in, in uveal melanoma, which is uh, the ocular form of, of melanoma, um, has uh, led to some important discoveries that allow us to, number one, identify which patients are at higher risk for having their cancer spread so that we can do things to try to reduce that chance. Genetic uh, testing that, that my lab uh, developed is now commercially available and widely used around the United States. We followed that up with research to identify um, potential therapies for these high-risk patients. We've identified a number of proteins that get abnormally uh, expressed uh, in the cancer cells, and this has led to several uh, clinical trials what types of people are at risk for cancer of the eye? For ocular melanoma or uveal melanoma, the greatest risk is for uh, white individuals, particularly fair-skinned, uh, light-colored eyes. The other common eye cancer, uh, which is uh, in children, retinoblastoma, really has no um, racial or sex predilection. So we see it equally uh, you know, across the board. But there do seem to be some environmental factors uh, that we are still trying to understand. When we talk about ocular cancers, what components of the eye are involved? The iris can uh, develop melanoma and other uh, types of cancer. And then the iris is connected behind uh, the eye to what's called the choroid uh, and the ciliary body. And those can also develop melanoma. 
Now the retina, which is like the film in the camera that sees the light coming in, that's where retinoblastoma uh, develops. And then on the surface of your eye, your, your, your eye surface is, uh, has a skin-like material called um, conjunctiva. And the conjunctiva can uh, have cancer associated with it as well. What type of symptoms do patients have who develop eye cancer? Sometimes they have no symptoms at all, uh, particularly if, if the cancer is on the inside of the eye and it's not where you can see it and it's not affecting the, the vision. Oftentimes it will affect the vision, either uh, flashing lights, blurred vision, uh, a blind spot in the vision, that sort of thing. On the surface of the eye, it may be a foreign body sensation. You, when you blink, you feel there's something rubbing there, or you might be able to actually see the lesion uh, when it's on the surface of the eye. Ophthalmology has always been an exciting field in terms of innovation. What are the up and coming things in, in the field of ophthalmology right now? We now have imaging that allows us to see the entire inside of the eye all at once. And in fact, you have 3D imaging that makes the surgeon feel like they're inside of the eye. And you can see exquisite detail of the retina, the lens, all of the structures of the eye that might uh, need to be um, uh, treated. What are some simple things we can do to improve our eye health? Number one, uh, I think certainly uh, it, it, it is a good idea to see an ophthalmologist periodically when we're young, probably every few years. Uh, as we get older, probably once a year, really, really important is to wear eye protection uh, when we're doing things that could result in a foreign body getting into our eyes, such as mowing the lawn or hammering. It's very important to think about eye protection um, uh, and when we're doing those kind of activities. Outside of an annual visit, what type of symptoms should um, stimulate one to someone to see an ophthalmologist? Certainly, if you have flashing lights, um, the most common reason for flashing lights is not cancer, fortunately, but it, it, it can be where the vitreous, the gel inside of the eye is pulling on the retina and could tear a hole in the retina. Most of us will develop little floaters in our vision uh, as we get older, but if you were to notice a large new floater that was very different than one that you had had before, uh, that would be something important that you would want to get checked out. How often should parents take their kids to have their vision checked? It depends on if there's a family history uh, of um, uh, any number of uh, eye diseases that can run in families. If there is a positive family history, then you know those visits to the pediatric ophthalmologist should start uh, fairly young, uh, maybe when the child is a year old or even younger, uh, depending on what the disease is. For a child that doesn't have uh, any family history, the things to look for, uh, uh, one of the most important things is if an eye is deviating, if it's turning in or turning out, um, that's called strabismus. The most common way that retinoblastoma is picked up is that um, a family member uh, will notice that the pupil is not dark uh, the way that, that it normally is, but it looks white. Uh, or it, when you're taking a, a, a pictures, sometimes the pupil looks red. You see that red reflex, but instead of red, it looks either white or black um, because the light is not being transmitted. Well, Dr. Harbour, we very much appreciate you joining us today and telling us a little bit more about uh, ophthalmology and uh, we're certainly glad to welcome you here to Dallas and to UT Southwestern. So thanks for your time today. Well, thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
Thank you for joining us. Until next episode, stay safe and stay healthy.